final episode on Simon Bolivar. The country that was founded by and named after him, Bolivia, began experiencing a violent coup, which saw the Bolivian president, Evo Morales, resign under heavy pressure from the military, backed by the Organization of American States. In addition to this, the EU has imposed fresh sanctions on Venezuela, the country Bolivar was born in and liberated. It seems like there's a coordinated assault on Bolivarianism, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Bolivarian Pan-Americanism has been routinely demonized, particularly in the U.S. media, since 1830, the year that Bolivar died. Grand Colombia dissolved, and U.S. President James P. Monroe decreed his infamous Monroe Doctrine. I'm your host, Dana, and aside from a minor Twitter back and forth with a culture vulture Australian rapper, and I use the term rapper very loosely, and also noticing a disturbing lack of cephalopods in the Georgia Aquarium, I don't really have any anecdotes today. What I do have is this final episode on the life and times of one Simone Bolivar, and I have the newsletter too. You can find it at musingshistory.substat.com. The year is 1830. The place, Grand Colombia. The man, Simon Bolivar. The problems, oh boy, where do I start? Well, a good place to start is two years earlier in the Congress of New Granada, which met from 9 April to 10 June 1828. Here, the pro-federalist factions attempted to curb the powers of the president, including lifetime presidency, that had been written in Bolivar's Bolivian constitution. The move was defeated by the pro-unitary faction, and the pro-federalist faction left the Congress in protest. A few months later, Simón Bolivar was declared president in Colombia's organic decree. Federalism, like I mentioned in episodes 3.3 and 3.4, is a system of government where states maintain their own integrity for most laws and most taxation, and then come to a negotiated consensus on overarching laws and regulations, such as for war or foreign trade. The United States is an example of a classical federal republic, and the Republic of Germany is an example of a modern one. If that sounds shady, it's because it was meant to be shady. To elaborate, in the United States, for instance, you can never really be sure how much something costs because of the variation in taxation across the country. A branded apple juice might say $1.99, but it's not really $1.99. It's $1.99 plus tax. And that tax will vary from state to state or even from city to city within the same state. In Germany, different states, yes, Germany has states, 15 of them to be exact, might have different laws on like the type of breeds of dogs that are allowed for reference pit bull owners the only the city state of berlin allows you to have a pit bull but you have to wear a, has to wear a muslim in public a law i saw casually ignored across the city but if the opfelsoff says 5 euros it's 5 euros it doesn't matter if you're in thuringia or bavaria or native saxon it's 5 euros which is expensive for some apple juice, but that's beside the point. The point is, Bolivar thought federalism was cute for the U.S., but he wasn't the liberator of the U.S. He was the liberator of a huge chunk of South America, and he felt that different histories, cultures, and political realities meant that a liberated South America had to play by different rules. 
One of the most contentious points was Bolivar's inclusion of lifetime presidency in his constitution. From Bogota to La Paz, certain demographics were vehemently opposed to the lifetime presidency. A key thing to note here is when I say certain demographics, no matter where I say it, I'm being shady while pointing out a particular kind of person in this scenario. I'll leave it to you, dear listeners, to figure out which demographic and the wide and expansive demographic makeup of Spanish America that I'm referring to now. Like I said in episode 3.3, Bolivar had seen how the political balkanization of Venezuela and New Granada during the wars of independence mostly ended up serving the Spanish purposes of keeping American loyalties divided and Pan-American consensus non-existent. Keeping in mind that Bolivar was a military leader and had been indoctrinated in a sort of militaristic mindset since childhood, it's fairly easy to understand why he'd think a centralized authority under a ruler who doesn't rotate out of the position would be a better system of governance than a federalist one. Also, being a general, Bolivar was good at assessing the situation on the ground, and he preferred to legislate according to the realities of the time rather than the ideals that were popular. The pro-federalist faction, however, had not given up. A few months after Bolivar was declared the liberator president in Colombia, there was an assassination attempt on 25 September 1828, which failed thanks to his lover, Manuela Science. The pro-federalist faction rallied around Francisco de Paula Santander, who served as vice president of Gran Colombia from 1821 to 1826. Santander himself was not a federalist, personally believing in the sanctity of constitutional government. Santander was a lawyer, so and here's the customary law was paramount to him, whereas Bolivar, the military man, will ultimately settle all issues by asking who's going to beat my ass. Bolivar's indifference to the finer points of law led to the two friends and former brothers-in-arms splitting for good when Bolivar tried to amend the 1821 Constitution before the legally required 10 years. Even after the September 1828 assassination attempt, however, Bolivar tried to be lenient, but he eventually submitted the conspirators to martial law. Santander himself was sentenced to death, but Bolivar commuted his sentence. So uprisings continued to occur in Venezuela, Ecuador, and Colombia as the Santander faction stoked fears that Bolivar wanted to become a South American monarch. In January 1829, Gran Colombia declared war against Peru when the president of Peru, General Lamar, invaded Guayaquil. Lamar was defeated by General Antonio Jose de Sucre, who was one of Bolivar's closest friends and confidants, and who most people assumed was being groomed to be Bolivar's successor. De Sucre defeated Lamar in the Battle of Portete de Tarqui on 27 February 1829, but De Sucre was then assassinated on 8 June 1830. Then the Venezuelan general Juan Jose Flores declared that he wanted the northern departments of Guayaquil, Quito, and Azue to split from Gran Colombia and become an independent country with him as the first president. Those districts later became known as Ecuador, and General Flores was its fourth president. So what you essentially have here is Bolivar was on the warpath from like 
18, say 18, 11, 18, 12, well into like 18, 19, 18, 20, mostly against the Spanish and the Royalists. So when he got the Spanish and the Royalists out of control in an area, he would leave one of his generals to kind of rule as his VP. So you had de Sucre in Peru, you had, uh, sorry, you had Lamar in Peru, you had Santander in New Granada, which is now Colombia, you had um, another general, Paez, who I'm going to bring up in a second, who he left in Venezuela, and basically he had generals in different places that were supposed to be implementing his constitution and all of Gran Colombia, but they were all supposed to be loyal to a unified Gran Colombia. Instead, what they were doing was trying to carve out countries for themselves. Lamar wanted uh, Guayaquil for Peru. Then you had Jose Flores wanted the Northern departments to split and become Ecuador. You had Santander wanting New Granada to be separated from Gran Colombia and be the Republic of New Granada, which later became known as Colombia. It's kind of like they were trying to do what Alexander the Great's generals did, but Alexander the Great's generals had the good sense to at least wait until he died to carve up his vast empire. So with most of Bolivar's generals across Gran Colombia in full revolt, Venezuelan General Jose Antonio Paez took control of Venezuela and banished Simón Bolívar from the country. The supreme irony in Paez being the person who broke up New Granada and Venezuela is that Santander, as vice president of New Granada, had ordered Paez to stand trial in Bogota for breach of duty, and Paez reached out to Bolívar to get him off the hook, which Bolívar very foolishly did. Basically, Venezuelans in Caracas didn't want an esteemed son of Venezuela, a Venezuelan general, being tried in New Granada, in Bogota. They were already upset that Santander had sentenced to death three Venezuelans. Mind you, they're all supposed to be one country, so it really shouldn't matter which jurisdiction that you're tried in. Everybody was supposed to submit to the authority of Santander. He was the vice president of all of Gran Colombia. But Bolivar had a tendency to like act on his personal whims. And just like Julius Caesar, that shit got him in trouble. This affair is known as La Cosiada, which interestingly is not a word or phrase in Spanish. It's just something they came up with because the whole situation was so bizarre when it went down between Paez and Santander that they just named it La Cosiada, which loosely translates to like that thing we don't have a word for. And it engendered a mistrust between Bogota and Caracas that continues now until the present day. And it emboldened Paez and made people think that he was this political wheeler and dealer and that he had Bolivar wrapped around his finger and could, you know, counter him. On 20 January 1830, 
Simon Bolivar addressed the nation and declared that he would be stepping down as president of Gran Colombia, which Gran Colombia had already ceased to exist because Paez dissolved it and declared Venezuela an independent nation on 1 January 1830. On 17 December 1831, as he prepared for exile to his beloved Paris, Simon Bolivar died of tuberculosis in Cartagena, Colombia. On his deathbed, he asked his aide-de-camp, General Daniel F. O'Leary, to burn all his letters and correspondence. But O'Leary disobeyed this last request and kept the letters, which is kind of messed up, but great for us because there's nothing more important to a historian than a first-person narrative. And he also took possession of Manuela Sainz's letters when she died in 1856. Bolivar was initially buried at the Cathedral of Santa Marta in Colombia. However, 12 years later, General Paez had his body exhumed and reburied in Caracas to be with his wife and his parents. In 1876, his body was moved again to be the first body interred in Venezuela's National Pantheon. In 2010, Manuela Sainz was symbolically interred in the National Pantheon of Venezuela as well. Her body was buried in a mass grave when she died in exile and so it was never found. After the dissolution of Gran Colombia, Bolivar famously said, all who serve the revolution have plowed the sea. And at that time, he was most likely referring to his friend, Antonio Jose de Sucre. His generals split Gran Colombia amongst themselves with Santander and Paez, in particular, forming unitary governments, not unlike the government they decried while Bolivar was president. So maybe it wasn't about federalism at all. Maybe it was about Simon Bolivar because they definitely ran unitary states with them holding a lot of the power and they had a tricameral legislature just like Bolivar did in his Bolivian constitution. Jose Maria Obanda, who was implicated in De Sucre's murder, also became the first president of New Granada post-split. Now, unlike what we saw in medieval Japan in ancient Rome, where Tokugawa and Julius Caesar laid the groundwork for an effective centralized government with their successors at the helm, Bolivar's death saw Gran Colombia split into Venezuela, Ecuador, and Colombia, and as well as, well, now present-day Panama. A period of caudalismo followed, characterized by charismatic strongmen who took control by undemocratic processes, usually military coups, after gaining popularity through populist sentiments and outrageous statements. If that doesn't ring a bell, let me ring it for you. Jair Bolsonaro. Add to this that the United States was determined to enforce its hegemony throughout Latin America and were, and still are, willing to use Cadillo-style leaders, cough, Juan Guaido, cough, to carry out their agenda, one can start to draw a straight line from the triumph of federalism and the breakup of Gran Colombia to the political issues that have plagued South America for like the last hundred and some odd years. Truthfully, Gran Colombia was realistically doomed to fail. It was just too large and you had too many disparate populations. Like, what do indigenous Peruvians and bougie Caucasian-esque 
Venezuelans have in common? Nothing. Nothing. Why would they why would they both be under the same government? It's just too much area. Too big. It was doomed to fail, but the way that it split has created the conditions that are currently being experienced today. You just can never legitimize a military coup. It just it just doesn't go well. Legitimizing a military coup is basically signing off on violent repression in pretty much every case. They never turn it back over to civilians. People's human rights are always curbed. They're always disappearing people. They're always enforcing law and order for the general populace and then, you know, letting their close associates do whatever they want. It just, you should just never, ever, ever legitimize a ruler that takes control via the military. It's just a bad precedent. Cauteismo is still rampant across South America as the failed coup in Venezuela and the most recent coup in Bolivia have demonstrated. One can only hope that Venezuelans, Colombians, Ecuadorians, Peruvians, and Bolivians who call Bolivar La Libertador will heed his final call to remain united lest you become the assassins of the country and your own executioners. I really hope they learn. This concludes the series, The Lives of Three Generals. I hope it's been a fun and interesting learning experience for you as it has been for me. In my next series, I'll be discussing the history of certain words and terms that are often misused in everyday discourse. Join me next time for more Musings on History.